Hello, I'm Phil Svitek and welcome to my vlog where it's both my mission and my pleasure to highlight my creative journey in hopes of inspiring you, giving you specific takeaway. All that way, your journey can be at least a little bit easier. Now, before I fully dive into everything and what I've been doing, I would love to take the opportunity to invite you to subscribe if you haven't already. That way you get all the various lessons and episodes that I put out right when I put them out. Thank you if you just did, and thank you if you already were. It truly does mean a lot to me, as I hope it does to you. So let's get into the thick of things. So this past week or so, in terms of the creative stuff, one of the things that I was working on was editing this sizzle reel for a project that a few of my friends are putting together. Now, the good part about it was that I didn't have to start from scratch, essentially. They'd already done a lot of their legwork in terms of the edit, and so for me, I was more so polishing it than building from scratch. Now, the thing of it was, you know, they had put it together. It's, it was about, you know, two minutes. I was able to cut it down to a minute and a half, roughly. But the thing of it was, um, you know, they're both new to editing. And so it wasn't the editing that was the toughest. It was more about, uh, it was more about kind of cleaning up some of the organizational work that was there. For example, you know, the clips that they were using in that specific edit um, was the rough sound, right? Was the, as we call in the business, scratch audio, not the good recorded quality from the microphones that we wanted the audio, right? So I had to kind of go back and pull that audio and make sure, you know, that it was part of the edit instead of not. And you know, before I fully like talk about just this project in general and other stuff of it, I, I do want to talk about how organization is such a key thing that we just don't overall consider. You know, when I, whenever I teach editing, I spend a good chunk initially on the organization, which frustrates a lot of people because they're always like, well, okay, fine, 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 fine. Teach me how to edit. You know, I'll worry about that later. And it's like, no, no. If you don't know the organizational stuff, you won't know how to edit. And the reason I say this because it's, you know, even, even with a short film where you don't necessarily have a lot of assets, like in this particular case, right, this is literally a, a page and a half of, of script, you know, and everything was pre-planned in well in advance in terms of the shots and how it was gonna go. Still, when you get to the edit side, it really slows you down in terms of editing, right? And so now imagine working on a project like, I don't know, let's say Lord of the Rings, right? Like the ultimate, uh, you know, it's a trilogy. It's, it's you know, each movie's about three hours and that's, that's the uh, trimmed down versions and so forth. Like, how are you gonna be able to function without that organization? You're not. The goal is to work at the speed of thought. And when you have things organized, you can, more easily do that, as opposed to literally finding out what's where and so forth. So organizational, organization is key, and not just for editing. By the way, you know, I was really reminded of this. So I work with the Financially Fit Foundation, 
which is an organization that essentially teaches financial literacy. People, it teaches people how to gain control of their finances and live, as we say, in alignment with their values, not their ego. And, you know, the, the, the system itself is called the save system. So spend in alignment with your values, not your ego. And really, you know, as we're diving in with the various people and so forth and, and, and kind of ramping up teaching... I was really reminded, like, it really starts with the organization side of it, and that is the hardest part of it. You know, gathering all the materials, putting it all together, having having all the things ready, because then to implement that system itself is pretty easy, and you can rinse, wash, repeat sort of thing, no different than editing, but without that integral first step, that that, that is quite laborious seeming, you know, it, you, you, you don't build that proper foundation and you need that. So that way the rest of it can be easy. And so it would, yeah, in, in that sense, it was just a great reminder of both like from a creative standpoint, as well as in other, other things, how important organization really is. And it goes to anything, right? You know, you, the more organized you are, the more you're setting yourself up for success. And even speaking of this project, you know, it was very well thought out, right? So now as far as the edit, I didn't really have to do a a lot necessarily with it. It was just cleanup, right? And the whole reason for this was because from a conceptual standpoint is very well realized of, you know, what the script is, then I was also involved in the shooting of it, right? So we were very meticulous about the shots we wanted to get because it's a sizzle reel. So it was, you know, we weren't pulling from a larger project. We were literally just going to shoot the shots that we needed to create this, this promotional video, essentially. And so we planned that out very meticulously. And so in in that respect, we know exactly the edit from start to finish. We know, we knew in our minds how the things were going to cut. And now it was a matter of adjusting, uh, okay, you know, here's how it thought, here's how we thought about it in our brains and what we thought it would look. And overall, it's close, but I think, you know, if if we trim this or add this effect to it, it'll help enhance it, whatever the case may be, right? So in that sense, it's very much coming together very smoothly because we front loaded the effort at the beginning to really figure out how this was going to work. And, you know, Robert Rodriguez often talks about this, like the more you know, oftentimes what happens in movies is that people always try to put off making a decision till the very end and therefore they need to shoot a lot, uh, spend a lot of time, ergo money. When, you know, if they just make the decision early on, it saves all of that, right? And same thing with like, if you really study Hitchcock, he was kind of like that, you know, for him, essentially the the most fun aspect of it was the script phase and the pre-planning phase because he could figure out the entire movie. And then once they were shooting and editing, 
it was really boring because he'd already worked through that and essentially it was just being arranged in the way that he always intended. You know, where so the legend goes, I'm sure uh, there was slightly more to it than that as there always is. But, you know, that's the basic premise. And when you can do it that way, yeah, that, that that's what can lead you to success. As I said, you know, the reason why Rob Rodriguez talks about this and, and in fact is an example of this is because it is what allows him to work very fast for a lower budget than most people and therefore he can be more creative, which he likes and certainly I like, therefore want to do, right? So just something to, to keep in mind and... You know, the, the other good news about this sizzle itself, you know, a lot of my work, you know, we're very close as far as the edit. You know, we're getting to a point of what's called picture lock. That means all the timing of the edit is locked. And then it goes to, I mean, this mostly, there's like visual effects shots that need to be added. So, you know, most of the notes that we're looking at are based on that and then it needs to go into sound design and then once the vfx come back then it can go into color correction and all those things are married and we're done all right so yeah it's it's you know um we're very very close one thing about it is that right now speaking of things that are temporary we're using a temporary voiceover that drives the narrative of the sizzle reel and you know the final sort of pass like it's it, it you know it's always kind of a chicken and the egg sort of thing with do you cut to the voiceover um or the um you know you try to tell it visually and, and so you're always kind of adjusting the visuals to the voiceover and sometimes you know, the voiceover to the visuals, yada, yada, yada. And in this case, you know, we have it pretty finessed based on the temporary voiceover that we do have. And now that we're close, we can get the final recording of the actor themselves. And I'm sure, you know, there's going to be adjustments needed just based off of the timing, you know, even just small timing, like a frame here, frame there, whatever the case may be. But then, you know, we'll be pretty much locked and ready to send it off to sound design. Sound design can't go without, I mean, it can in theory. Um, it's just, again, talk about like having to have things organized. You know, it's, it's much better, especially in this case, to have it all locked off. VFX, you know, in this particular case, uh, the, the shots themselves wouldn't necessarily change so that those can go and be uh, made, right? So VFX, you don't need picture lock to be able to to work through, right? So um, I just wanted to clarify that. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this project. I, I really believe in it. Uh, to see it come together, it, it has been awesome, you know, and to see their version of it, like very bare bones um, and be excited by it. And all I really needed to do, like I said, was was timing stuff. And, you know, what I did was add music, add certain um, flair that I, I can do, that I know how to do within editing and 
overall, you know, like when we talk about the VFX, there was some green screen shots that, you know, right now they're not finalized, but I offered at least as far as the edit itself, just a rudimentary idea where, you know, I did a very basic chroma key to it and took out the green screen and put in like the rough backdrops of what will appear there. So we just have an idea of how the things flow. So that got us a lot closer, right? So, you know, you just kind of iterate and, and get closer and closer to the final product. You know. So yeah, that's the sizzle reel. The other exciting creative project that, you know, I've been working on and talking about for a while is this animated trilogy of movies that I am in development of called The Arbiters. And the phase I'm at right now is writing the first draft of the first movie. And so, you know, this is based on an outline that I've been revising, revising, and revising with a group. And right now, I'm about 67 pages into the script. And in terms of the outline, I'm on bullet point uh, number 37 out of 70. So roughly about halfway there, which is exciting. You know, slowly but surely, it's coming to fruition, which is, which is exciting. Now, what I find myself doing is I'm, I'm in, the, in this phase of writing where I'm just trying to get to the end. And so there was an action scene, for example, where I knew kind of what needed to happen, but, you know, rather than spend so much time thinking about it, because it just seemed like such a, such a challenge and I wanted to get to other stuff, you know, I, I, I kind of wrote it like very basically, you know, just, just basically writing garbage just to get through it and just to give an idea of what it is. So, you know, this, the script itself, I wouldn't even call necessarily like the first draft because once I'm done with it, it's, it's not really readable, <laughs> you know? I mean, it is for those who know the story and who know me, but like for anyone that's not aware of this, they're gonna be looking at like, what is this garbage? What is this hot mess? But for me, you know, one of the reasons why we even decided to go with the script, knowing that the outline still could have been finessed a little bit more, was we needed to see the characters come to life. We need to hear them, see how they acted, and, you know, the various things that might be like a, a, a line and, and an outline now gets expanded, you know, and you can start to see the world better and so forth. So we can maneuver within that and discover these things as we go. And that's what's also been fascinating throughout this whole process is as I'm thinking about it, things are becoming clearer. And what I'm doing is there are scenes that, you know, I, I wrote already where I'm like, ooh, I think it would be better if this happened. Or, you know, here's an idea maybe to, to utilize. Or here's just a general note to consider. Or, you know, uh, here's, a th here's a plot thread that I started that, you know, seemingly hasn't gone anywhere and won't be going anywhere. So kind of maybe consider taking out 
or making sure it does tie in together later. And of course, I think like the old me and a lot of other people would perhaps go back in and address those things as they're going. And some people do this and it can be quite successful for them. But for me, as long as it's noted, as I said, for me, the goal is just to get to the end. And then once I have this, which for all intents and purposes, we can call like a very detailed treatment, you know, like a, 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 a scriptment, if we want to like, you know, make up a word that combines script and treatment. But then I can go through that and revise it, you know, and oftentimes like, I'm a big advocate of this. It's a lot easier to revise something than to be staring at a blank page. And in fact, I utilize ChatGPT quite often. You know, I'll say like, I'll give it a command of like, what would a lieutenant say, you know, if he had to order an escape? And it'll give me, you know, something along those lines. And, you know, I might have it like expand and give me a little scenario, whatever the case may be. And it's not perfect, right? It's not like I'm going to now take that and copy and paste it. But it gives me something to work with. I'm like, okay, cool. I know what to do with this. Boom, 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 right? So the more I can essentially bridge that gap of not staring at a blank page and more just taking something and revising it, that's the beauty. And Because, you know, the creativity of all of it is the story that I'm ultimately trying to tell. You know, so as far as the rest of it, you know, I'm not worried. And that's kind of been my process through this. And that's why, you know, the more I can get to the end instead of being hampered by the notion of, okay, well, you know, I know like I have all these notes and they should get addressed and whatever. It's like, okay, those notes are there and they will be addressed. But now's not the time for them. Let them let them rest. And because ultimately, you know, I could go back and I could spend. And, and as I said, you know, it can be successful for many, many people. Like many successful writers sometimes revise as they go. And that's great for them. But in this case, it's for me at this stage a lot more beneficial to just get to the end. Because once I have it all, some of the notes might be irrelevant some of them I'll know how to better address now that I, you know, have the the whole thing much more mapped out. Yada yada yada, right? So that's the phase and process that I'm at. And and it is funny, you know, it's it's a technique that Ryan Holiday, who's the prolific writer of stoic books such as The Obstacle is the Way, you know, he talks a lot about you know, his writing, he'll be like, uh, you know, he'll write something and be like, insert example. And, you know, he'll bold it and just kind of move on because he wants to continue his thoughts, right? He wants to work at the speed of thought. And he knows that, you know, he can go back in and research, okay, what is an example that he needs to put in there to make it make sense? Stephen Pressfield, who is the author of The War of Art, he talks about this too, you know, just that that incessant voice of ours that demands perfection. It really hampers us. It, it really 
is the voice of resistance and therefore, you know, we got no work done. And it seems like it might be the better route, but we get no, we don't get as much work done, you know, uh, for the majority of us. And again, for some people it works, but, you know, in this case, for me, yeah, I'm just having a fun time getting through it and seeing the puzzle come together. Lastly, as far as creative stuff, I've been working on my second novel, which if you've been following along, you've heard me say quite a number of times. And this has been a start and start project, you know, I've hit various roadblocks and, you know, because it's a project that deals with a lot of AI and, you know, it's, it's quite an ambitious project um, because of the psyche of the main character and and whatnot, and in many ways, it's a story that can very easily become cliched. So I want to make sure I avoid certain tropes and, you know, really make what I'm trying to say my own, even though, you know, it's within a genre that has certain conventions and so forth. So much in the same way I'm tackling the Arbiter's script, I'm kind of, you know, I have a revised outline, you know. I, I had a outline initially from way back when that I actually started writing a while ago and have like 15,000 words written. But now I've taken a step back. I revised that outline and kind of combined some you know, new ideas to, to finesse it along with the rest of it. And so I'm like, you know what? I don't exactly, I, I know the, the broad strokes of it, but let me just start writing and, and see kind of what comes out and revise it from there. So my goal for this week is to do chapter one and two. You know, most of my chapters are about like 3,000 words. Um, and I, so far, I've already begun chapter one. So I think I have around a thousand words of that already. So let's see how this goes. You know, that's that's going to be my goal, and you know, well, it, it, it'll be fun. You know, um, I'm just going to apply that same ideology of just keep writing, just keep writing. You know, even if at times it's crap. You know, even if like I can't get through a chapter and it's just like a paragraph of here's what's intended to happen, blah blah blah. I'll see you in the next chapter. Like, even if that's it, at least like just, you know, getting from quote unquote start to finish, just having something there. And then I can um, finesse the rest of it, right? And that's kind of why I talked about, you know, this the sizzle reel first, because that's at the end phase of, you know, now all that sort of hard work of just, you know, having these ideas, these ideas and, and finessing and finessing them. And now we're putting the final pieces together, you know, that, that, and, you know, what I'm presenting with the writing is at the beginning phase of that, right? So that, that's how all of that fits together. Now, that's what I've been doing creatively, but I also do want to share some thoughts of, uh, about just life stuff in general that I think would resonate or at least, you know, stuff that you might have been considering and so forth. So that's what I'm about to get into. Um, 
One of the things, though, as I dive into this and, and so forth, I would love to, you know, if, if you appreciate what I do and get some benefit out of it, you know, and think I might be of more benefit to you, well, consider joining my Patreon, patreon.com slash philsvitek. There's just one tier. It's $10 a month. So everyone gets the same thing. But it's a way for me to connect with you directly, right? So whatever you might be facing in in your world creatively and otherwise, it's a chance for me to really address that, right? So yeah, really, really uh, consider it if you can. Um, but if it in any way puts a financial strain on you, then then please don't. I will continue putting out uh, all these various free lessons to you um, as I have been for the past couple of years. Also, um, one of the things I want to say, uh, this movie, Suzume, recently came out. It's an animated movie by um, uh, the director, Shinkai, who did Your Name and Weathering With You. And it's really, like, sat in my mind. And, and what's, what's nice is, you know, A... I mean, the whole reason why I'm doing the Arbiters, which is intended as an animated, you know, story, is because I love that genre. I love the medium that that it uses to tell its story. And certainly, you know, Your Name, Weathering With You, and now Suzume are prime examples of what this medium can do. And it's just so gorgeous and it's beautiful. So, A, I encourage you to go check it out. B, for me, it's been fun to really see that movie and be inspired of how I can really push the Arbiters creatively. You know, it goes to that idea that like after I saw Suzume, not that I'm stealing ideas, but you know, more so it just opened up my eyes to, you know, because I have animation as a tool, I can basically do anything. And so you know, the story that I'm writing is a fantasy story. So the things that happen, like, you know, if they're coming in at a, at a five out of 10, get them to a 10, right? Make them as fantastical as it can be. And so, yeah, it's, it's been really fun to be inspired by that. And if you want to hear my thoughts on Suzume, I posted um, both a non-spoiler review and, and then a spoiler version as well that you can check out on my YouTube page, youtube.com. Uh, slash at Phil Svitek YT. All right. Sorry for all the plugs, but you know, um, I just I just love that movie and figured uh, some of you, you know, you might as well, and therefore um, wanted to you know, offer that up. So a couple weeks ago, one of the podcast shows that I work on, you know, there, there was a, this section at the end that the host thought should be cut. And, you know, for me, it's always fun to be able to have some creative input on the shows. And I remember speaking to the host, I said, listen, give it another 24 hours, really think about it. Because for me, I think it is one of the stronger moments of the episode. It is one of the most real episodes you know, and I, I get why you would want to cut out. It can be a little bit scary and so forth. But that's why I think it's needed. And so, you know, I said, consider really, you know, think about it, 
And if, you know, after a day you still feel the same way, I'll totally cut it. You know, no protest from me, but just wanted to at least voice my opinion. And it ended up being that uh, they were like, okay, fine. You know, I trust your judgment sort of a thing, you know, even though they were still nervous. And then uh, the episode gets released and so many people responded on social media and, you know, people that knew the person personally as well, like just from all areas of like, oh my God, you know, what, what an incredible message. I'm, you know, I'm so glad that you spoke about that. And it was just awesome, not because I was vindicated in any sort of way, but just that this idea of when you do something that, that is genuine, you know, however scared it might be, you know, having that boldness to step forward leads to good results. Not everyone's going to respond positively, you know, all the time, but the people who it is intended for, the people who it is supposed to have an impact on, it will. Because they'll see that. It'll resonate with them. And this truly did. And I'm so thankful that that I had that role to play. Um, and that, you know, this person believed in me um, and, 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 and went for it ultimately. And I also applaud them. And I think, you know, kudos to me though, I will say for that strategy of like not being like, hey, it absolutely has to be in, blah, blah, blah. No, I was like, listen, I'm going to speak out because this is something I believe in. But if you disagree with me, it's your choice, right? And I allow them that space. And I think that was part of it, you know, um, where it really gave them the space to consider that thing. So um, some, you know, I don't know if it all applies to you, but, um, you know, there, there's a way to I think if there is a lesson, it's how to voice your opinion in a way that isn't threatening and allows people that space, you know, so. One of the random things that I was talking with somebody um, was just life and death and, you know, passing on and so forth. And I forget how exactly it came to it and I forget exactly how it I said it, but I, I, I was, you know, my, my friend basically said to me like, oh, <laughs> I would hate to be your friend and die. It seems like you would just, you know, move on pretty quickly. And I'm like, okay, well, first off, what's wrong with, what's wrong with that? It's, it's not that I would forget somebody when they, when they passed away, but I said, you know, consider this. If I passed away, would I want any of my friends and family to be miserable? Who benefits from that? Now, of course, I don't want them to rejoice or whatever, but yeah, celebrate the life I've lived by, you know, carrying on, if anything, the lessons that, that I've impacted or just being happy, right? Like, I don't know. I, I, I think we get into this. It is interesting to me, like, we feel if people aren't mourning, like, like people need to be miserable in some way, otherwise, like, there's no respect. And it's like, no, 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 why, why would I want that for my friends? You know, and vice versa. And if anything, like, it's not that I've forgotten a, about anyone who's ever meant anything to me that's passed away, but it doesn't behoove 
me and it's certainly like, you know, whatever the truth may be, I don't think it benefits them for me to, you know, suffer once they're gone. So I don't, you know, um, just sort of this idea of, of death is really interesting simply because, I don't know, um, you know, I think me and friends are getting to that age where not that, you know, we're staring death down the barrel, so to speak, but, you know, the people in our lives that we used to look up to, um, you know, whether grandparents or, you know, other elder people, like, they're leaving us, you know, and they're not always going to be there. So it's, it's more prominent. And, you know, there's a lot of teachings and cultures that talk about, you know, you essentially reverse engineer your life based on, you know, how, how do you want to be remembered after you pass away? And what, what do you want to have accomplished? And so by working backwards, you can, you can start to make the, the steps now to be able to do that, right? So that's in essence why, you know, I've been thinking about death and so forth. Which kind of leads to, for me, if there is any sort of dichotomy in life, I think it, there, there's this dichotomy of victim versus creator. It's a way of saying, you know, that that, that old adage that, you know, life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you react to it. And so you could see yourself as this victim of circumstance, whatever those circumstances may be, or you can see yourself as a creator within the life that you have, regardless of what happens to you. You know, borrowing from the ideas of like Don Miguel Ruiz, he talks about how we are all storytellers, right? And so you can engrave a story of victimhood into your mindset or one of, you know, as a survivor, whatever the case may be, something more positive, right? You, you, you get to choose that for yourself of, as I said, you know, it's 10% of what happens to you, 90% of how you respond to it. And so what's the story that you're going to, you're going to choose to believe, right? And there are some people who play the same tune in their lives over and over, and that being a negative one. And it's interesting to kind of observe how that may permeate in various aspects. You know, I remember a few months ago, you know, I was talking with a friend uh, about a person and they're like, I don't know. I don't know if I buy that about that person. And I'm like, okay, why? I don't know. It just doesn't, you know, they were like, you know me, I, I like to get at the truth and this doesn't seem like the truth. And I'm like, okay. I was like, why do you not think that's the truth? Because, you know, as I told this person, what you're hinting at is that it has to be something rather nefarious. And okay, fine, perhaps it might be or whatever, but who benefits from this? You know, like to, to spend time thinking about it and so forth. Like, you know, it didn't change the outcome of anything. It didn't uh, ultimately help anyone. It, it, it was just wasted mental effort. And 
you know, recently in therapy, this is something that we talked about, like how much of your brain are you using for personal matters versus, you know, big matters. And that might seem like, well, of course, you know, everything's personal and and, and whatnot. But if I had to kind of clarify it, it's more so how much of it are you spending on minutia? That is just quite, you know, in many ways driving you literally insane. And as Byron Katie would say, um, you know, the problem is we, we believe our thoughts and then we suffer. <laughs> That's what it is, you know? Um, so this person that, that I'm talking about, they were just, conv- first off, it wasn't even like, they had nothing to do with the situation. And yet they couldn't let it go of like that, that whatever I was saying was not true because the truth of the matter had to be nefarious. And it was like, I'm just looking out for you. And I'm like, I'm perfectly happy. <laughs> it's you who seems to be bothered by this, who has nothing to do with anything, you know? So I just find that wildly fascinating in, in, in that way. And so when we talk about like, you know, on the personal matter, it's like, okay, you know, I've handled that. I thought about that. It's we're good. Like it hasn't affected me. And where I'd rather put my thinking towards is how to be a better friend, how to, you know, how to elevate the arbiters and all my other creative projects. Like that's what I want to put my mental capacities to. You know, it's similar to how I hate, I hate tabloids. I hate like just celebrity news. I hate gossiping with people in general. Like to me, it's just such a, it's just uninteresting. You know, if I'm ever going to talk about a person, it's more so I want to extract the lesson out of it. Cause it's, you know, for me, it's never really about that person. It's more of, okay, what is the greater lesson to be learned from, you know, that person? But gossip for the sake of gossip and like belittling people and so forth, like I have no interest in that. And that's what I mean about spending time on like personal matters, you know, Um, and perhaps there's a better way to express that. I'm sure there is, but that's how I'm like looking at it and terming it at least at this point in time, right? So, you know, do what the hat what you will. But I I do think, yeah, you know, that that sort of dichotomy of victim versus creator. um, It's an important one, you know, you, what are you going to choose for yourself? Because in many ways, the state of the world is demoralizing, right? Like I look at our health insurance uh, and just, you know, it's just ridiculous. Um, Also just the state of our country in many ways, like if you turn on the news, it can be quite demoralizing, right? It just depends what you pay attention to. Um, You know, it's in many ways, like, you know, there's definitely points even in my life where I feel like even when I'm doing my best, it's like the world keeps telling you that you're not enough and you need to do more, right? Like, you know, society's definition of success or, you know, certainly the rising prices of everything. Like it feels like we're on this treadmill, you know, uh, everything keeps increasing, 
our paychecks do not. So it's like, you got to go out and make this money, especially, you know, if you want to make all this art, then it's, uh, you know, you got to find the resources, right? Which can include, you know, time and certainly money, people and so forth. Like it's a lot of extra effort to be able to do that amongst already all these other responsibilities. So it, 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 it can be a lot and it, it can really sort of grind you. And, you know, certainly like even for me, right, as a filmmaker, you apply to film festivals or script competitions or you submit to agents or whatever, like all these different things. And if you're just getting no after no after no, you know, certainly actors who go out for casting auditions, they face this or novelists who submit queries and so forth. Like this is evident throughout. Yeah, it just, you know, that idea that you're not good enough um, starts to to seep into you. And so that's where really the idea of, you know, you can be a victim or you can be a creator of the life you want um, really comes to play, you know, because it's like, okay, yeah, this is what seemingly the world is pointing towards and hinting at, but how do I overcome that, you know, regardless? And so for me, you know, so far, listen, there there are plenty of things that I would love to do and, and projects and I have high ambitions. And so the the projects that I'm choosing right now work within my means. And certainly I... I set the bar high, you know, to say, like, I want to make an animated trilogy. That is a bold statement, right? But I've, you know, based on the experiences that I've had and the lessons and so forth, I know how to make movies. I know that I am patient and hardworking and so forth, right? So I have all this evidence of myself and I've gained the various skills to be able to do it. And I know how to, you know, minimize the cost. And as I've talked about in prior episodes, I know how to, as needed, break down this project to more manageable parts to get it ultimately across the finish line. And I know this is going to be a very long-term project. I mean, this could literally be the next 10 years of my life. But that's how much I believe in the project, you know, and certainly Lord of the Rings was the culmination of J.R.R. Tolkien's life in many ways, right? So, you know, if I came anywhere close to that, that'd be a huge success. That'd be a great investment of 10 years for me creatively. It really would. And so that's what I'm choosing, right? As opposed to being a, a, a victim of... X, Y, and Z, right? You know, that's why it, it is interesting. You know, uh, I listen to the Filmcast, which is a podcast about movies. You know, that they review movies weekly. They also talk about movies they've been watching that, that they recommend and so forth, some movie news and all that kind of good stuff, right? And it's hosted primarily by um, these three people, Dave, Devendra, and Jeff. And I remember after the Oscars came out or, you know, the Oscars happened, they were talking about the you know award ceremony and one of the things that was 
talked about was this idea of a lot of the recipients were like, you know, never give up on your dream, keep chasing your dream. And it becomes sort of this um, fallacy because, of course, the people that that are giving that message have essentially made it, right? They found the success. They're, they're the Oscar winners, but there's plenty of people who don't win Oscars and so forth. And I think that's worthwhile looking at. But I look at it from a nuanced perspective because, you know, when you do something simply for the accolades, especially something like the Oscars, in this particular instance, who's determining the metrics of what gets best picture, right? This is not a 100-meter race that is very clear of how a person wins, right? Sure, there are best practices of like the, the schmoozing and so forth and the campaigning that goes into, you know, an Oscar win and certainly like, you know, Comedies, just in general, don't win Oscars. Uh, fantasy, like Lord of the Rings, was really the pretty much the first like fantasy movie to win an Oscar. Uh, so that's another thing. Like they like more kind of grounded dramas. It seems like so you can kind of guess at like what would win an Oscar. But again, it's not like these rules are hard coded. And in fact, that's why people thought that everything everywhere all at once wouldn't necessarily win because it was so out there in terms of movie versus like a Banshees of Inishirin or perhaps like even Top Gun was, you know, it was just such a like quote unquote feel good movie and so well respected that it was like, you know what, this could legitimately win and it could have, right? I mean, I don't don't know the ultimate like voting breakdown percentage of what to what. So yeah, there's that notion that whoever's espousing, you know, chase your dreams, it, 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 you know, that it's it's one of those things that that they've managed to do it. And so we shouldn't chase awards in that way, you know. Um, for me, I remember like before I finished my second movie, they were like, okay, well, what happens if like you write all the books, you make all the movies that you want, like, what, 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 once you've done it, um, or you haven't made it, I forget exactly the phrasing, I, I used to know it by heart, but essentially, you know, they were like, what happens then? I was like, if at that point, I've made all the books that I want, and made all the movies that I want, like, redefine what making it means, because I've made it, I've made what I wanted to make, you know, but for others, they just have the, it in their brain to, yeah, the accolades, the affirmation, the fame, the fortune, all that. And for me, it's not about that. I just want to be able to make the stuff that I want to make and work with the people that I want to make it with, right? You know, that that I love and so forth. Which is why I think the idea of, you know, especially in film, there's the notion that it's all about the end product. You know, you're never going to remember you know, what it felt like, it's, it's always, the audience will never know what it felt like to make the movie, they'll just remember the movie, and that's what will survive the test of time, and I, I think a little bit of that's true, right, um, but it's also inauthentic to say it's all about the product, because for the individuals making it, it is about the experience, right, like, you know, that's going to be the majority of what happens, right, like, for some of them, it could be years of 
laborious effort to bring something to light. And so it, it very much speaks to that idea of like, um, it, it really is about the process, right? Like, like winning an Oscar shouldn't be the, the end result. The, the, that, that's like the end product. You know, if you, if you work on the process, you'll have a, it'll, it'll work out. I'm not quite saying it in the way that I want to, but, you know, there's a difference to me between pushing yourself to your limits versus having a toxic work environment. And I think that's the distinction that we need to make when it comes to art in general, right? Like the collaborators that I work with, you know, I want us to achieve new heights, to see what we're capable of, you know, therefore inspire ourselves, inspire others and so forth without it having to be toxic. And I think that's where we need to draw the line because there is, when we say it's all about the end product, I don't think that's a blanket allowance for, for just all the heinous shit that quite frankly, Hollywood has been known for and, you know, to, to a degree is still known for. So that's something that, you know, for me, I am conscious of and want to make sure that I'm doing correctly, right? So I encourage you to, to think about it in that sort of nuanced way, the difference between a toxic environment and pushing yourselves to your limit. Something that like, I don't know, I just thought about, right? Um, or not literally right now, but just in general is as we talk about a lot of this stuff, right? You know, and we talk about how easy it can be to be demoralized by any of this stuff going on in the world with our art and just be, you know, deep down to a pulp, so to speak. You know, it's like, how do you overcome this? And sometimes just the power of the hug, man, I tell you. You know, where nothing needs to be said, but when it's genuine, the closeness and the pureness of it just resonates this feeling of everything's going to be okay. You know, without needing to say like, I don't necessarily know how it's going to be okay in that moment, but just, but it, it just comforts your body into the state of calmness, which then can allow you to start to get at the solutions that if you're just stressed and it, and have this anxiety over, you will not be able to get to. So yeah, you know, I, I yeah, I just, I just think about the power of hugs, <laughs> quite frankly, and, and what they can mean, you know, and how it just signals to somebody like, I got you. I may not know, I may not understand, I may not know what to do, but I'm here for you and somehow, It'll be okay, right? It's just such a calming, resetting type of an act that I, I think is awesome. We should all really do it in a much more genuine way. Another thought that came to me a couple weeks ago was that I was reminded of how exceptional I truly was. 
And I had this get together with various people that I love and respect that many of whom I hadn't seen for quite a number of years, actually, because of COVID and other stuff. And we're all together. And these are all people that are so hardworking, so ambitious and so forth. And yet, all of us, including myself, you know, we have those moments of doubt, like we're not doing enough, we're not good enough, right? All the, all the things that I'm speaking to. And it's, you know, in some ways, it's because we're comparing ourselves to the higher echelon of already people that have made it. Um, you know, we are also our own worst critics. And we also sometimes, like for me, you know, I love looking at examples of other artists to be inspired by, but it can sometimes be easy to conflate that into like an individual person, like where, where you're taking hundreds of examples and all of a sudden, you know, it's like, oh, this one person, like this made up person is doing all these things, right? Um, because these are the less, all the lessons you want to apply to yourself. And it, so it gets conflated as like, oh, you should be doing all of it. When in fact, like, yeah, you, you've taken a hundred people and extracted the various lessons and the things that they're doing. And so even for them, it's not like they're doing all of those things. Like each individual person is doing a very specific subset. And so what I'm hinting at is this idea that we should all have a little bit more grace with ourselves because, you know, there is like why I was reminded of how exceptional I truly am is because, you know, I was working with somebody that was just starting off and the difference of their stamina versus mine, it, it was night and day. And yet, you know, even to this day, I kind of times think of myself as lazy. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, I'm not. You know, I just have extremely high standards and, and so forth. And it's not to say that, you know, I, I want to or perhaps even should take my foot off the gas pedal. But just having that grace with myself to know that, like, it's okay. You know, you're doing good. And as for the person, like, they'll get there. They're, they're starting off on their journey. And if they want to, they can, you know, get to the level I'm at. But it's going to take time. I mean, you know, this year, literally, I'm going to be celebrating 20 years within entertainment, right? I, I, I edited my first documentary at the age of 15 for hospice, you know, that aired on ABC. And um, that was a very profound experience. But yeah, you know, like, I've been at this for 20 years. That's incredible to think about. So it's a process. It's a journey, right? So yeah, you know, that's kind of what's been on my mind recently. Uh, the last thing I'll share um, as we're like in tax season, like we're, we're wrapping up taxes, you know, I really think we should adopt a system where we essentially vote with our taxes. Like, you know, when we pay taxes, we choose each year where the money should go towards. So like roads, 
schooling, technology, military, and so forth. And, you know, it being where everyone has to give at least something, you know, like whatever the minimum percentage is to at least each category. But I think, A, that would just make people want to pay taxes. Um, and B, that would be much more representative, you know, ultimately of how we spend our money, you know, because um, money talks. And I, I, I think that's important. And, you know, it's, it's something that's been an idea of mine for a number of years, and I've not acted upon it um, just because, again, there's so many other things that I'm focused on. It's like a, a should idea of mine. But I'm sharing it just in case it sparks something within you um, or somebody you know that's an activist or so forth. I don't know. Um, it's just an idea of mine where I think if we were able to choose as citizens where our taxes went towards directly, it would create a greater participation and It just seems much more equitable in that way to me. Anyway, thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. I truly do appreciate you. As always, if you have any thoughts or questions, comment down below or hit me up on social media at PhilSvitek. Feel free to suggest any topics that you would love to have covered in the future. I would love to get to them. And I hope to see you next time.